Thank you and good afternoon, everybody. And again, I appreciate everybody staying for the late session. Uh, this is a little bit of a challenging talk to give because uh, for two reasons. First is, I think we actually do this pretty well in general, so it's a little hard to come. And if you get nothing out of the talk, that'll be great because it means you're already doing everything. Um, second is that Sandy gave a similar talk a couple of years ago at this meeting, uh, but I would uh, suggest that I'll give you the surgeon's perspective on that. And just out of curiosity, are there any other surgeons in the room? All right, we have one back there, two, sweet. All right, well, uh, thanks, and I'd, I'd welcome any, uh, any comments from your perspective as we go through this. You know, inflammatory bowel disease, as we all know, is complex heterogeneous disease with multiple treatments in a varying clinical course. But it's not a static problem, it changes. As we develop all of these new therapies, the medical advances continue to alter the role of surgery, and the surgical advances continue to evolve in terms of how we actually approach the surgical cases. And I think that the, you'll hear throughout this, and I, when I went through the slides, realized I put it in there too many times, probably, but you can never communicate enough, and communication is really key, and the focus really must be on the patient. And I was very interested when I was looking at the schedule of uh, sessions today, that actually right now, maybe on the other side of this wall, there is a session in the adult uh, uh, part of the program, uh, which is called Case Controversies, uh, Who Gives the Better Treatment, the GI Doctor or the Surgeon, or something like that. And it, it just seems uh, like a commentary maybe on the pediatric approach is that we, uh, I think the important part of this is that we work on these patients together and the focus really needs to be on how do we do the right thing for the child. As we all know, um, while these medical therapies continue to evolve, uh, surgery continues to be an important part of the treatment algorithm for kids with all types of inflammatory bowel disease. IBD has more uh, aggressive progression. Uh, from a surgical standpoint, there is a higher uh, risk of requiring surgery for patients who have uh, either penetrating or stricturing disease. Uh, fortunately, most cases are inflammatory, but still there is a large number of patients over the course of their lifetime who will uh, need to be in a surgeon's office uh, and ultimately in the operating room. A large percentage of those uh, cases occur within the first year. And then similarly with ulcerative colitis, 20% uh, of UC patients will end up re requiring surgery within their childhood years. The data on the bottom of the slide there is from a recent study from the IBD registry that many of you probably contribute patients to, uh, looking at the risk of uh, the re need for surgery uh, over time uh, based on diagnosis. This is from 1,442 patients with Crohn's disease. Uh, within the first year, 4% uh, of patients will require surgery. Uh, within five years, 13%, and within uh, 10 years, 26%. These numbers may seem a little bit low. Obviously, there are lots of studies with numbers all over the place, but it's important to recognize that these are cases, these are bowel cases, specifically bowel resection cases or bowel cases, not uh, cases of draining perineal fistulas or draining intra-abdominal abscesses or something. And then the graph on the uh, right, right side looks at the temporal relationship of when these cases occur. Uh, you can see 15% occur within the first three months, 
and a significant number, in fact, the majority of cases within the first three years. The study also looked at the, uh, whether biologics have impacted this, and as we just heard from Bob, that may be changing uh, in some very specific segments uh, with specific drug treatments, but in general, there was no association found between uh, whether biologics were given or not in terms of the ultimate risk for requiring surgery. So clearly, a lot of the patients that we manage together, we have to manage together because they will require both of us. Frequently, one of the challenges we have is the timing of surgery, and this is one of the places where um, communication and uh, collaboration is really important. There are actually relatively few cases who end up with what we all know of as absolute indications for surgery. So a child who presents with perforated bowel and sepsis or something and requires surgery or a toxic megacolon that has to go directly to the operating room is relatively uncommon. And these other indications for surgery, uh, such as growth retardation or challenges with um, uh, persistent system symptoms despite medical therapy uh, tend to be the, the more important or more common reasons for why we end up uh, deciding to perform surgery and engaging not only each other in terms of the gastroenterologist and the surgeon, but also the family is critically important. Uh, this is uh, relatively recent data uh, looking at um, uh, complications in terms of timing. There's been this persistent question about what do we, what do we do about the medical therapy when it comes to a child who's going to have uh, surgery, and what is the impact of biologics on uh, the rate of complications postoperatively? There are many, many studies, and most of them show that the uh, complication rate is the same, but I would suggest that there are very few studies that are particularly good in terms of being, you know, there is no randomized controlled study to look at this. Uh, this study, and this is just, I just pulled out one data set from that um, study, looking at serum levels and the importance of uh, serum levels of the uh, anti-TNF drugs prior to an operation. I think there were a number of interesting findings from this study, uh, one of which was that in 53% of patients who were on anti-TNF drugs, they had undetectable serum levels at the time of operation. So uh, despite the fact that they were on these uh, medications, they really did not have detectable serum levels uh, that would potentially impact the complication rate. Overall, it was difficult to show um, statistical significance, but if you looked at the Crohn's disease patients who had a high serum level, I believe that was over three mics, three micrograms per mil, uh, those patients did have a significantly higher uh, complication rates, and as you would expect, uh, infectious complications were um, uh, led the pack in terms of the problems. So the timing of surgery, that would suggest actually that you might want to check serum levels. I don't think many people do that. I know we do not do that. Our, our approach at our center is usually if it's an elective case, we would try to wait at least two weeks uh, following a dose uh, before going to the operating room. But there may be an argument um, to actually check levels before uh, pursuing that especially if you have to go more acutely to the OR. Again, communication between the gastroenterologist and the surgeon is key. So one of the things Sandy pointed out two years ago, and I feel very strongly, is that um, 
from the surgical perspective, surgery does not equal failure. And frequently we, we look at that from both sides is that uh, gastroenterologists sometimes will hesitate to send a patient to, the op to surgery because that's a failure. Uh, uh, surgical docs will say, well, this patient failed medical therapy and so they should have come to surgery sooner. I think that is not failure of therapy. There are, these are all treatments in the armamentarium of taking care of inflammatory bowel disease and that we should be talking to each other as people who provide these different therapies as to what's best for the particular child at a particular time. In terms of the timing, and I know I think one of the cases we may discuss some of this is when do, you, when do I as the surgeon, when do I want to be called to talk to the family? And the answer is the sooner the better. Um, it's obviously every patient who comes in with uh, first diagnosis of, of Crohn's disease who's responding well or is going to get their initial therapy, that's probably not the time to send them off and say, hey, we're going to send you to talk to the surgeon. But in patients who are not responding or who don't respond early on, I would much rather have the opportunity to speak to the family before I walk in with a consent in my hand. It's much, I think, much nicer for the family to be able to have time uh, to absorb the conversation. And as we all know, there's a lot of information that gets transferred, and so you have to do it multiple times before they understand. And the complications of uh, surgery are not trivial, especially um, for all of the procedures, but in particular when you have complicated things like the potential for infertility to discuss with uh, patients with ulcerative colitis who might go through an ileoanal pull-through. So the earlier we have to, um, to address that with the family, the better. So my, my plea would be call early and uh, let us have a chance to meet the family when uh, it's not an emergency. Uh, in general, um, I think surgeons are not bad people, and uh, we sometimes have a bad reputation, which we may or may not deserve, but, uh, uh, but really I think that the uh, working together uh, is uh, much nicer for the family. Well done, a collaborative multidisciplinary approach facilitates best care and uh, generates the best patient and family experience. That sounds um, really good. It's, I actually looked into seeing whether there's data to support that or not, and there's a little bit of data. Um, that One of the challenges, and one of the challenges we have, is that multidisciplinary clinics are a great idea, but they're very hard to operationalize. We're very fortunate at our institution where our GI docs clinic is literally right down the hall from our surgery clinic as an outpatient, so we have the opportunity to see patients together. Uh, in many cases, but certainly not all. So that's, it sounds good, but it's very hard to do. But to whatever extent uh, you can see patients at the same time with your medical or surgical colleague, uh, it just facilitates having conversations with the family so that the family understands that there is one team treating their child and you all have the same plan. I think one of the, for me, one of the places where I learned this best was when I was at CHOP with Dr. Baldassano, and uh, we started taking, when we had patients with complex perineal disease, we would take those patients uh, to the operating room together uh, and do the endoscopy as well as the exam under anesthesia, CETON placement, whatever it took. Uh, we would do those things uh, together in the operating room. It is sometimes a challenge to schedule. 
but it allows you, first of all, both of the physicians to understand what the problem is and the, have a, a uh, common understanding of what the anatomy is. Um, and as importantly or more importantly, when you go out and talk to the family, the family gets a single plan from both the surgeon and the uh, gastroenterologist in terms of follow-up, next steps, and what do we anticipate the outcome will be. Uh, this is just a, the schema from the NASPGAN consensus statement on the treatment of uh, perianal disease. And I just put this up to point out that in each one of these, as you go down the algorithm, in each step there is a surgical intervention uh, if the patients do not resolve uh, with early treatment. So involving surgeons early and uh, having that common plan uh, is likely to be necessary, so you might as well start early on that process. I would also suggest that communication is a two-way street and that the surgeon has equal obligations to the partnership and that has to do with what we discussed a little bit earlier with the timing of surgery. Uh, there's nothing worse, I'm sure, than finding out that one of your patients is in the recovery room and you didn't know that they were going to the operating room. So it's important for us to make sure that we communicate uh, what we're doing and why we're doing it and what we have done. Uh, the intended approach, we have, as I mentioned on the very first slide, the surgical techniques continue to evolve. More and more approaches to minimally invasive things like laparoscopic or even robotic approaches uh, to try to minimize the complications. That's particularly important when we think about uh, fertility issues in women, as there is now some actual evidence. I've always thought that this was the case, but now there's actually a little bit of evidence to suggest that a laparoscopic approach can help to mitigate those uh, problems. It's also an issue of what about the uh, plan for the management of the meds in the preoperative period, as we discussed, uh, but also postoperatively. Um, so understanding for the person who's not in the operating room to understand what we found in the operating room is really important. I sometimes take pictures and do other things to help demonstrate exactly what the findings were for the gastroenterologist so that they can appreciate, or they come to the operating room so that they can appreciate exactly what the extent of disease was as that might help to drive their uh, post-operative medical management. And in terms of follow-up, uh, again, as we all know, unfortunately, uh, many pediatric patients, uh, many IBD patients in general, uh, surgery is not a one-and-done event. Uh, this is some data from a, um, uh, from a summary paper or review uh, looking at the, and this is adult data, uh, but looking at the risk of uh, recurrent surgery interventions, and at one year, uh, four to 25 percent, uh, at five years, another 25 percent, and at uh, 10 years, a significantly uh, higher risk of recurrent surgery. So again, maintaining that uh, communication uh, even after a surgical procedure uh, helps with the timing and the uh, um, plan for future interventions. So complex medical care is a team sport, as we all know, and presumably that should result in better outcomes, but it's really hard to demonstrate that from an from a objective look in the literature standpoint. There are some uh, good examples for ex uh, total knee arthroplasty, for example, and some cranial reconstruction where it was demonstrated that the team approach uh, results in a better outcome. 
clearly it makes sense, and I don't think you need a study to prove that. Um, the other thing that it does is it complements efforts to reduce the cost of care, and I think we all face that challenge now is to reduce the, the expense that we incur when we take care of patients and working uh, as a team and making sure that we aren't double ordering labs or doing any of the other somewhat sometimes trivial things can help to uh, improve our efficiency. And certainly it contributes to the patient and family experience. And again, I went to the literature and said, well, does a multidisciplinary approach improve patient and family experience? It should certainly, by, it seems like it should. Uh, it's actually a little bit difficult to demonstrate. Uh, this is a meta-analysis that looked at 27 different studies uh, which assessed patient satisfaction with a multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach for multiple different problems, not just IBD. And as you can see from the plot there on the right, there is some evidence to suggest that there is uh, improved patient experience and family experience, which makes sense, but I actually was surprised that it wasn't more dramatic than that in the studies. And then finally, just briefly to comment on transitions of care, and depending on your location, this may or may not be an issue, but transitioning care is something that in the PEDS population we all have to deal with. One of the challenges in a population like this is they're not necessarily the same standards for transitioning care for surgeons as there are for gastroenterologists. And in our own organization, I know um, in a freestanding children's hospital, that means that the patients go across the street to the university. There are, as, general, as pediatric surgeons, we're all trained in general surgeon. We can all take care of adults. We're board-certified adult surgeons as well as pediatric surgeons, so there's no hard stop for us. Whereas in our program, I know that the pediatric gastroenterologists say at 18 years old, we need to have these patients go across the street because uh, that is what we're pediatricians uh, from a training standpoint, and that's where we should make that transition. So it's just important because when a patient shows up in the emergency department who's 20 years old and has a medical complication but is still being cared for for the surgeon, it can be a problem as to who's actually in charge and who will take care of that patient. So we have to make sure that there's consistency in terms of where, do we, where should that patient go and who will care for them when they show up. And this just kind of reiterates that. It's the, some guidelines for transition of care. And again, I would say if you look at the bottom point, it's maintained good communication between the pediatric and the adult care providers. I would also uh, submit that there needs to be really good communication between the pediatric care providers on the PEDS side. And this is just a, a statement from uh, a review uh, by Dr. Kim. Gastroenterologists and surgeons can have different points of view of the best course, and it is essential to discuss the individual patient before making a decision. Patients and their parents should also be involved in formulating the treatment plan. And I know that this is, like, this is, we do this every day, right? So this is nothing uh, special or, or different, but I think it's really important to keep in mind uh, so that we make sure that the patients get the appropriate care and it's care. For, from a surgical standpoint, there are many cases where I want the patients to come back after they've had a pull through and say, I wish we had done this sooner because that means that they got all the opportunities to not do it or do something else before they actually underwent a really big operation. And once you take the colon out, you can't put it back. So, so again, that communication and including the parents and their family is important. So in summary, as I've said multiple times, communication is key. Most of our IBD patients will likely need both of us at some point, certainly you, but frequently me. 
partnerships by definition require both parties to participate. And a close partnership probably leads to improved outcomes and certainly leads to improved patient satisfaction. So thank you very much. I'd be happy to answer any questions.